Now I wonder whether anybody here this morning, it was touching, wasn't it? With some of the things we've heard have been very touching and, um, and, and you might be thinking, oh, I, I wish, wish I knew Pradeep and Kabatha like that or wish I was close like that. Well, you know, we, we don't know everyone, do we? I, I don't particularly know you, Maria, but I do know Keith. And so we don't know everybody, but we can know some people. And that's the important thing, that we might learn how to be close and to love and be loved by some people is, is really valuable. And if you may be visiting here today, you don't normally come to church, you need to know that church is supposed to be like that, actually, that, that human society is supposed to be like that. Human beings were made to relate to a loving Heavenly Father and to know what it is to love and be loved. And, and it's so good to let Father love us so that we can enter into that. And so the passage I want us to look at today will explore something about that. Now, I remember hearing uh, a guy called Nicky Gumbel tell a story. Some of you will have heard of Nicky Gumbel. He's been very instrumental uh, setting up a course called Alpha Course, which is used all over the world, and you may have heard of the Alpha Course. But he tells this story, something like this. I, it's a long time since I heard it. Some people who had young, quite young children, they had an au pair to help them look after their children. They had some friends round one evening at the weekend for a meal, and the au pair was sort of responsible for getting the children to bed and then amusing herself during the evening. And then during the evening, there's like a huge load of din from upstairs as the kids are obviously having a romp or something like that. And the the au pair, they can hear the au pair go uh, because she goes out to the the, the hallway to shout up the stairs to the children. And she shouts up, what are you up to on earth? Right. And um, and, and they're they're amused by this. So they're thinking, what a funny thing to shout up to the children. But then then they realise and their guests, uh, they realise because they would often go up and, and shout up to the kids when they can hear, what on earth are you up to, right? <laughs> but, but, of course, an au pair, she's from another country, she's not familiar with the, the idioms of English, so she gets it wrong and she says, you know, what are you up to on earth? And suddenly the question becomes, it moves from being quite a, an ordinary question to actually being quite a profound question, doesn't it? What are you up to on earth? And, um, and so these people were it provoked a spiritual conversation. Now, you know, the thing is that you are up to something on earth. You might be up to no good, or you might be up to what God, the Father, has made you to be. And it, discovering our divine design is utterly important, actually. What are you up to on earth is an incredibly valuable and important question. And, you know, it's um, humility. Sometimes it's, uh, people think that humility is, is denying who you are. That, that's not humility. Humility is recognising that what you have is a gift. Right? There is some calling on your life. And whatever it is, humility just recognises that was a gift. But it is not humble to deny what you're calling. The purpose you are on the earth, it's not humble to deny that. So we're going to read from, it's the end of John's Gospel, chapter 1. It'll come up on the slide, but if you have a Bible, you can turn it up. We're at verse 35, and we're going to read through to the end of the chapter. So right at the beginning of, this is one of the four accounts in the New Testament about, about um, the, the life of Christ. And so if I get back, you'll be able to see it on the overhead as well, and then I'll move forward again. So we can bring the, um, the slides up. Yep. So, good, we'll start there. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. This is um, John the Baptist, just to put him in context. We're reading John's Gospel, John, 
John is a, the John of the Gospel writers, different from John the Baptist, who's in the story. So John was there again with two of his disciples. When he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Look, the Lamb of God. He names, we started with the song about the Lamb of God. And here is John the Baptist naming the divine design upon Jesus Christ. He's naming, look, this is why Jesus Christ is on earth. He's here to be the Lamb of God. Okay. Now, when the two disciples, these are the two disciples of John the Baptist, heard John the Baptist say this, they followed Jesus. And turning round, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Already we have rapport, we have relationship, right from the beginning, that Jesus was forging with those who followed him. Verse 40. Andrew, my namesake, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two disciples of John who heard that John, what John had said and who had followed Jesus. They heard, they followed. It's been repeated a second time. It's important. They heard John the Baptist say, look, the Lamb of God. They followed the Lamb of God. Moving on, verse 41. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and give him a leaflet about the Christmas carol event. <laughs> well, this is, this, is, this is the start of a long chain of events that we are still part of. Right? That's the truth. Uh, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ. These two words, one Hebrew, one Greek, mean the same thing, anointed one. And, uh, and, and he brought him, Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. And Jesus looked at Simon, at him, and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which, when translated, is Peter. And here we have Christ naming over Simon what, why he, what, what he's up to on earth, what he's supposed to be up to on earth. Verse 43. Stephen, Steve, could you shut the door at the back? Just kind of allows it to be a bit warmer in here, maybe, for those at the back. Jesus looked at him, uh, sorry, verse 43, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And we have another in this chain reaction. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And uh, that's just near the Sea of Galilee on the north um, east side. And Philip found Nathanael. Now, Nathanael is the same disciple as Bartholomew. If you're familiar with the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark and Luke, he's called Bartholomew. And in John, he's called Nathanael. And we think it's probably the same person. So Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Because they were Jews, so they naturally are looking for the things which the Jewish scriptures prophesied about. And who is this person who is fulfilling these prophecies? It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Uh-oh. So here we have some people from Bethsaida being told about someone from Nazareth. A um, little bit of tribalism playing out here, because how does uh, Nathaniel reply? Verse 46, Nazareth. Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Well, come and see, said Philip. And when Jesus saw it, did you just get endless good advice in this passage? You know, come and see. Um, he brought him to Jesus. It's just, it's wonderful, isn't it? Verse 47, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He's once again, he's naming something. 
Christ is naming something about Nathanael. Verse 48, how do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. I now see why, what you were up to on the earth. Right? So there's, there's something reciprocal. Christ sees what these people, what the divine design is for their life. And they're enabled to see what the divine design upon Christ is. Um, <clears throat> and then verse 50, Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You'll see greater things than these. And he then added, very truly, I tell you, you, plural, this is, he goes into the plural in the Greek here, so he's speaking to all the people who are within earshot. You will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And that's a reference back to Genesis and maybe we'll get to look at that before we finish this morning as we look at this passage. In the passage we see how Christ was calling out the divine design in people that he met he was naming what they were up to on earth because Jesus knew what he was doing on earth and he wants us to know what we're doing on earth as well people who follow him need to know what he was doing need to know who he is because who he is is all really fundamental to what he's doing in the earth and he's still doing it now by the power of the Holy Spirit he's not physically present in the earth as he was then but he's doing this now and it's part of our role to name Jesus truthfully in the earth he's a swear word in our world but it's our role to name him truthfully who he is and what he is doing and sometimes there is stuff blocking us from doing that because often we are still living as orphans through Christ we've been made into children of our heavenly father but sometimes we're not so secure in that and we're living as orphans and you're going to hear more in a sense about that when Duncan shares at Christmas time at the carol services uh, he was in effect kind of orphaned as a child and God has done a really mighty work and we're going to hear more of that story at Christmas you you want to hear this story and I want to tell you it'd be good for friends to hear the story of what God has been doing in Duncan's life but when we're freed from having an orphan spirit we're freed from being self-absorbed with I wonder what's happening in my life and we're able to start naming and seeing how God is at work in other people's lives and so John the Baptist was wonderfully able to attach people to Christ isn't it if I was John the Baptist and I had a few people following me I'd kind of want to keep them like with me but but John the Baptist like Maria the spirit Maria said Maria said she liked to be behind the throne John the Baptist liked to be behind the throne he was wanting Jesus to be glorified and so he's able to say to his own disciples look the Lamb of God look the Lamb of God and he was seeking to attach people to Jesus rather than himself and when you are not an orphan you're able to do that because you're so confident of what God has called you to that you are free therefore to attach people to Christ rather than to bind people to yourself of course loyalty is a good thing and Loyalty is actually a gift we can give when we're attached to Jesus. Once you have freed from an orphan spirit, you're able to give true loyalty. But that orphan spirit can make us listen to other people and their enjoyment of love and friendship and feel we're on the outside. But God doesn't want us to feel like that. He wants to deliver us from that orphan spirit and the curse of it and to be free like John the Baptist or Andrew, as we'll see later in the story, to just be confident in Christ. 
And, uh, and because of that, John the Baptist, Andrew, they could easily take second place. Andrew would, was, is always known as Simon Peter's brother. And yet he was called first. You know, we're part of a group of churches called New Frontiers. And, uh, and I often find that I get found, I go places and I'm known as Katie Ryland's father. Right. And I think, how did that happen? This is, this is the wrong way round, you know? And uh, so, but she has a way of getting herself known amongst all kinds of people. And um, so in this, in this little, sort of tiny little uh, goldfish bowl, uh, that's, because New Frontiers is a great work, but it's just one tiny little bit of all God's doing in our world, and it's uh, which very exciting. So... Uh, I've quoted this before, but if Jesus, if you knew, rather, if you knew what God had in mind for you, you'd never be jealous of anyone else. Right? If you knew what God had in mind for you, you'd never be jealous of anyone else. And that includes John the Baptist. Maybe he didn't know he was going to get his head chopped off. But even if he did, I think he'd embrace that. That he was trusting what God was doing in his life. Because he knew what he was doing on earth. He was on earth to be a signpost to Jesus Christ. And he knew that. I wonder if we know what we're called to. Now, John's two disciples heard John the Baptist's name, Christ's divine design, and then they followed Jesus. They heard, they followed. To hear is to have the opportunity to follow. To hear and not to follow is a tragedy. And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you saying, staying? And so um, it's interesting. I just want to draw attention to this, that they... A number of times in this passage, you might have noticed this, John's, in John's Gospel, John translates something. He says, they said rabbi, and he says that means teacher, just in case you're not from this Jewish background that we share together. And you're wondering, rabbi, what on earth's that? Did they miss the T? It should have been rabbit or something. No, he's got to explain it. And he does this a number of other times, actually, in this same passage. So he, um, so he says, you'll be called Cephas, which when translated means Peter. Again, it's the Hebrew and the Greek. So he's, he's thinking there's probably going to be Greek readers. They won't understand the Hebrew. I need to tell them because Cephas got a meaning. It means rock. And they won't know the meaning because they are Greek speakers. They don't speak the Hebrew. And, and, and there's, I think, one other place in here where he does the same thing. Uh, oh, yes, he says, we found the Messiah. Brackets, that's the Christ. He's, again, he's explaining they, the Greek speakers won't understand Messiah means anointed one. So I need to tell them the Greek word for anointed one, and that's the word Christ. And so he's doing that translation. He's explaining it to them. Friends, you know, it's our job too. If it was good enough for John to do explaining, we can do explaining too. And we should do explaining, shouldn't we? Because people are not familiar. They don't read the Bible anymore. So if we sing a song and say we're singing to the lion and the lamb... That's, it needs some explaining because they're thinking, goodness, these people worship animals. <laughs> what do, yeah, do, I mean, really, we need, to, we need to give some explanation. And it's right they did it in the Bible. The example's been set. It's appropriate for us. We, we don't think superiorly, well, they're ignorant people because they don't know the lion is a metaphor for Jesus. No, we must explain because we, our heart is that people would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we know that was John's desire. At the end of John's Gospel, the Gospel writer says, you know, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name 
Right? He was writing his gospel with a purpose. And because he had that purpose, he wanted to explain that which was mysterious as best as he could. And so do we. So let, let's do that. So then he asks, anyway, back to the story. He says, what do you want to these two disciple one of which was Andrew what are you looking for is another way of translating it I think might be in the some of the other English versions what and it's, again it's a profound question in some ways it's quite simple and yet also it's so profound what are you really looking for because people are looking for things aren't they are you is, is above all are you looking to be popular could be couldn't it above all you could be looking to be rich above all you could be looking to, to improve your life above all you could be trying to um you know, make your career succeed. Maybe above all, you're trying to be secure. Or I, I, there can be countless things. But he was wanting to know, kind of, what are you looking for? What do you really want? In coming after me, he said, look, there's the Lamb of God. What are you really looking for? I, I, do you want to find the Lamb of God? Do you want to find the Messiah? Are you looking for the true God? Do you really want to follow me? Or are you just trying to co-opt me into your scheme of political revolution to overthrow the romans or countless other things we try to co-opt god for we want him to help us be popular we want him to help us get pregnant we want him to help us find a boyfriend or girlfriend or something like this no what he's saying what do you really want are you wanting to come after me it's a brave decision to let god speak to us about why we're here on earth and to let him rule to, to let his agenda direct us and so they ask, where are you staying? They show, yeah, we want something more. We want, we want to be with you. We want to, there's something special about you. We want to be around you. And so they spend time with Jesus. And one of them, it could well be the other one was John, the gospel writer, because he says it was four in the afternoon. And, you know, there's this funny thing, many of you will know this, when you've had experiences where God's really met with you, you can usually remember where it was some, or when it was or... You remember the date or you might remember the time, the, the time of day, the place where it was, the chair you were sitting in, something, uh, you, there's something memorable about it. Anyway, so, so um, th- then we move on, verse 41, just moving along through the story. If we can bring, bring us up back to, to, to no, back to verse 41. Um, so it's the first thing Andrew did was he went and found his brother. So... Andrew hardly knew anything. He'd only just met Jesus. But already there's something about Jesus. He thinks, I, I want to get my brother to this. And again, you know, he's revealing that like John the Baptist, he doesn't have an orphan spirit. He's not thinking, oh, I found a special friend, this Jesus, and I'll keep him to myself. He wants to share him. And, and actually the other times we read about John, uh, sorry, Andrew in the Gospels, very specifically Andrew, uh, also, he was bringing people to Jesus. So there was an occasion in John chapter 6 where Andrew is the one who finds the boy with the lo- loaves and fishes and brings him to Jesus. And there was another occasion in, in John 12 when some Greeks were inquiring of Jesus and they come to Andrew. He was obviously a good connector. He kind of connected people and people found him accessible. And he, didn't, he was just happy to attach people to Jesus rather than attach people to himself. And it was his great joy, you could say. William Barclay says it was Andrew's great joy to bring others to Jesus. And so he stands out as not trying to get glory, not trying to get the limelight for himself, happy to be behind the throne, just like Maria was describing herself and how we've seen that in her. He's our great example about what it is not to keep Jesus to ourselves. And uh, so we've been encouraging, I just want to remind you, this 111 prayer idea that every day at one o'clock for one minute you'd pray for one person. 
And uh, so I hope I just set the alarm on my phone. And then if, as long as I'm around my phone, it beeps. And I haven't got it silenced as well, which sometimes it would be if I was with somebody else. But it beeps. And that reminds me, one minute, one person to pray. Praying for one person that I could invite, that, or will invite, or have invited, uh, to come along to Christmas time. So I do remind you about that. So, now, uh, and, and you kind of wonder, what did Andrew think his brother? He would have known his brother quite well. What did he think his brother was looking for? He must have realised his brother was interested in the Messiah, that he had that kind of interest. Now, now you might think, well, none of my friends kind of tell me, in, you know, over coffee, oh, I'm so longing for the Messiah, you know. <laughs> So, I mean, do they? I mean, occasionally that might happen. It's never happened in my life. You, yes. So, so but, but people do have some kind of longings and we need to kind of show how Jesus meets those longings. Simon Peter was schooled and brought up as a Jew. So he had that expectation and that was his passion. But what is it that our friends have? Maybe that they're very keen on social justice and, and you can and you can they have a passion for that. You could say, do you know? The, uh, uh, let me tell you about some of the stuff the church does, the food bank or the, you know, the, the debt. Uh, King's Church is setting up a cap centre, actually, King's Church in Adelstone. So, and there's more and more debt advice. So all kinds of things we can point to how the church is doing or what we're doing with homeless people or stories like that. And we're telling, you know, Jesus is building a community of people who are making a difference. Because sometimes people say, oh, God isn't doing anything about injustice. Well, actually, he is. He's using us to do something about injustice. And, uh, or maybe they've, um, you know, that they, people have a passion about the planet and how it's being cared for. Well, I, I think Jesus cares about this planet as well, that he's given us stewardship of this planet and he cares about how we steward it. And so we can point people and try and connect Jesus in their minds to the thing they feel passionate about. But anyway, moving along. Jesus, of course, meets with Simon and says this kind of thing about, um, you know, I'm going to call you Cephas, I'm going to call you Peter. He's calling out the divine design in him. And again, I think this is important. You know, it's said, isn't it, that when all you have is a hammer, every problem is a nail. You heard that <laughs> saying? When all you have is a hammer, every problem is a nail. And sometimes as Christians, um, excuse us if you're visiting, but sometimes we give the impression that in order to help people find Jesus we've really got to hone in on their sin on what they've done wrong and stuff like that but actually Jesus sometimes did that but he didn't always do that and often what he did was meant Duncan mentioned this in a prayer earlier he, he Jesus uh, named what their future was he named he called out the divine design in the person he doesn't focus on the obstacles he focuses on their future and and I think he's inviting us to do that as well so there are different tools we can use and you know it's great when you find someone who sees some a bigger vision for your future than you see for yourself there is something very winsome about that now you see adam in the back in the book of genesis adam named the things that god had created didn't he god had made all the creation and adam named all the things our role is to name what God is doing, but Jesus and Father and the Holy Spirit, they actually don't just name things, they create the things yes. that we will name. Yes. And so there is something different about what Jesus does, because when Jesus tells, I'm going to make you the rock, he's not just saying, you know, I've seen into you and I can see you're very rock-like. <laughs> right? Jesus is actually able, by saying it, to make it true, to actually create it in us. What we do, we cannot create it in one another. But we can maybe speak in Christ's name in this creative, yes. but we can also name that which God is doing. 
So uh, and we participate in this. We are invited to join in this. And so uh, and then the next story with Nathaniel that um, uh, that he is, um, as I say, most likely the same as Bartholomew. But that you'll notice when he's told by Philip, hey, we found the Messiah, you know, it's Jesus of Nazareth. Nathaniel's really quite negative, isn't he? What, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? This is a bit like, you, you know, the Manchester United buying a player from Manchester City or something like this. So my, I'm straying into something I know almost nothing about. <laughs> <laughs> Keith will straighten me out afterwards. And, uh, but there's, there's a kind of tribalism at work, isn't there, is something. It's like somebody... Uh, you know, I mean, I, after the U.S. election, I caught a video of a of a, um, a a Muslim immigrant woman who said she'd voted for Donald Trump, right? And you'd thought that would be very unlikely, wouldn't you? So she she'd kind of crossed the picket line and and secretly voted for Donald Trump, and then afterwards does a video about it, and you think, whoa, okay. So, but you know, we live in a very tribal world, don't we? I mean, Trump, Clinton, Brexit, Remain, whatever. There's, we can be quite tribal, and there's differences amongst us in the church about these things. And we need to be careful that we don't let these things close us down, actually. And, uh, and we need to be wise. Because, you know, when you, if you follow a tweet or something on Facebook, you know, let's say it's something negative about Donald Trump, Facebook and Twitter will feed you more stories and tweets <laughs> that are negative about Donald Trump that will reinforce your negative opinion. And um, similarly, if you follow something that's negative about Hillary Clinton, you'll get more because the algorithms feed you what they think you want. So in other words, it's polarized. these things actually act to polarise people uh, at more and more extreme at either side. And we need to realise that the Internet's a very dangerous tool. It's a wonderful tool, but it can be potentially very dangerous. And we need, uh, you know, this guy was given great advice by Philip because Philip said, come and see for yourself. And that's what we need to do. Sometimes we need to actually either withhold judgment or think, I'm going to actually go and read what somebody actually said rather than what the Daily Mail says or the Guardian or whatever. Because, again, you've got polarisation and we get reinforcement. Anyway, that's just on a little aside. But we have a very tribal world and we're supposed to be about bringing people back together in Christ. And that's our role. So come and see is really good advice. And then Jesus, you know, Jesus could have, Jesus knows this guy. He's been shown in the spirit something about Nathaniel. I'm kind of thinking, okay, he's going to go for him. What do you mean, can anything good come from Nazareth? Right? What do you mean, right? Right, get in his face and threaten to headbutt him or something. No, Jesus doesn't mention that. And again, he, it's instead he speaks about Nathaniel's future, what he sees of, his, of the best of Nathaniel rather than the worst of Nathaniel. We've quoted this saying, you know, I think this is an Alan Scott one. Honour is the choice to magnify another person's worth above their weakness. And it attracts the glory of God. Honour is the choice to magnify another person's worth above their weakness. It attracts the glory of God. There's, Jesus was doing that with Nathaniel. Um, was it um, Megan? You tweeted just today, I think, something, or, or put it on the email. When we seek to discover the best in others, we somehow bring out the best in ourselves. I mean, that's what Jesus was doing in this story. He was looking, instead of bringing the, emphasizing the negative in Nathaniel, he emphasizes the best about him. <clears throat> 
somewhere recently I saw another quote, a friend sees the worst in us and still enjoys the view. Um, you know, there's something good about that. And I want you just to think about someone who is, has really done you down or really um, hurt you or, you know, it's been difficult for you in your life. And think about that person when we think about these sayings. A friend sees the worst in us and still enjoys the view. The question is not, the question is, am I being a friend to those people around us by doing that? So Jesus rarely worked by shaming people. And uh, I don't think we should either. So Rabbi Nathaniel says, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. He names why Jesus is here on the earth. And he's able to look through that. And today we have further opportunity to see who Jesus really is and to understand why he came to earth. And Jesus, of course, finishes. We get to verse 51 as we as we wrap up um, that. um, And he refers to this story. Let me just fill it in from the book of Genesis. It's from a character called Jacob. You might have heard of him. He was another character who got a new name from God. Pradeep referenced it last week. And I think Felix will pick it up next Sunday. Um, or might do. So he was renamed Israel. He was a very important character in Jewish history. And before that happened, he um, had a dream. He was on a journey. He had a dream. It's quite a famous dream. He had to sleep in the open air. He took a rock for a pillow. Exceedingly uncomfortable, I would think. I mean, your ear would get really flattened on that, wouldn't it? And in, uh, but he slept, and in the sleep he dreamt, and he saw a ladder between heaven and earth, and angels going up and down. And he concluded, this is, this is a place where God is present in the earth. And he called the place Bethel, which means house of God, a place where God dwells on the earth. And um, Jesus is, is quoting from this very passage. It's in Genesis 28. Heaven, uh, he, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending. But this time, it's not ascending and descending on a ladder. What are the angels of God ascending and descending on? The Son of Man. And that's the way Jesus characteristically referred to himself. He's saying, I am the connection between heaven and earth. This is, this is my, why I'm, what I'm up to on earth. I'm up, what, what Jesus is up to on earth and still is up to is being a connection between heaven yes. and earth. And um, angels are ascending and descending here. But there's, he's saying, I, I am, come to me and you'll be in the house of God, the Bethel of God. And I am the Israel of God. I'm this place connecting heaven and earth. That is what he is about and so he is with us to be that for other people he's calling he's saying you know what are you up to on earth he wants you to know i want to invite you to stand barney maybe you'd like to come up and we we might sing um this a a song based on the lord's prayer our father in heaven your kingdom come quickly your will be done the same we sing in this song we just would invite you to stand and to reach out to, to Father in your spirit. <clears throat> reach out to Jesus Christ. How, how, how far do you feel you're, you know what you're up to on earth? Mm-hmm. Now, yes, of course, there are many things. We have children to raise, elderly parents to take care of, a... Um, the rent to pay and food to put on the table. Yes, our Father knows about all these things as well. And those things are not wrong. These are important responsibilities that he, um, the care of your relatives, your kith and kin, 
We have a general duty of care to others, of kindness to those who are poor and have less than us. These things are general duties upon humanity, to care for the commonwealth, the good of all those around us. Time and again in scripture this is encouraged. But what there can be particular things. Maybe you know what it is. Yours is to serve, like Maria was saying, that sense which we see in you, Maria, that you serve and you don't want's in the limelight. Maybe that's how what you're up to on earth. You see? What what do you know is that calling for you? Be refreshed in that, be renewed in that. Think of it often because it helps give you hope and steadfastness through the trials, because there are trials. There are many challenges. And then how you might speak to others and be given prophetic insights, how we might speak to one another here in the gathered community or when we go out as the scattered servants, how we may speak over others what, what, what their calling is. So Nathan's been doing that over us recently in the spirit, prophetically doing that with some people. We, we need more of this. So as we look at one another, we can see the worst of each other, but we still enjoy the view. Because we see God's design. We look for it. Let's sing our Father in heaven.